Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Scott. In today's episode, we are so excited to share our early driving impressions of the Ineos Grenadier prototype. We were fortunate to be the first in the Americas to test an America's spec Grenadier prototype in technical terrain. We actually used it in the Uari National Forest at the Overland Experts Training Grounds. So enjoy our wide-ranging conversation on the capabilities of the vehicle, how it compares with others in the segment, and what we can look forward to with a Grenadier in the very near future. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. So Matt, today we get to talk about the Grenadier. We've been given the green light to talk about the green light. The, yep, we talk have about been our, green lit. We have to talk about our driving impressions with the Grenadier. We were actually the first in North America and all of the Americas to drive a America's spec yeah. Grenadier. So, I mean, I actually have the one that I drove yes, right here. Right. You have we yeah. have one here in the U.S. It's, right uh, if you're not following us on youtubes this will make no sense but it's actually your your birthday present. it was my birthday present yeah and it's got like a little the doors open yeah it's very cute i actually kind of love it it was uh it was one of the best birthday presents i've ever gotten yeah so so i've driven the model of it you've driven the real one (laughs) and where did you drive it north carolina or i did i did did. but before we get started um i Backtrack. I, when we first sat down to have this conversation, I noticed that Matt actually has a Galandavagen t-shirt on, which you did not do intentionally. No, because I drove, I haven't driven my G-Wagon in like months. Yeah. And then I was like, this is clean. It's like this bougie car guy brand period. Correct. And it's cool. And I, I don't know. I, Maybe I shouldn't have taken my sweatshirt off. I was just slightly <laughs> warm, but it's not. Uh, I like it, and it's going to be relevant to the conversation because we're yeah. actually we're going to have there's a little actually, bit of comparison between that. And, and the I think G-Wagon. there's a lot there's a lot more in common between these vehicles. No than, question. Yeah, um, especially with the association of Magnister, who you know originally partnered with Mercedes to to develop the G wagon for the exactly the of Iran. Yeah, and that's part of what the fun is when you look at the Galandavag, and you can tell it was assembled by someone who kind of was told make the best sir jim ratcliffe who is the ceo and primary shareholder of the ineos corporation he is a lifetime traveler and overlander he's ridden the length of africa on a bmw he drove around all of the places with defenders and he had a love for the defender model land rover and when they decided to stop making the utility version and start making the mm. Scottsdale version of the Defender. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. 
Well, I, yeah, I mean, I mean, the defenders, that's where I the see the defenders them. fine. I just like there's that totally. whole uh, it's a different intent trust thing that I don't really have any more in it. It went from being a utility vehicle to being an SUV yeah. option for a lot of folks. It's like um, it was going to be a discovery. Yeah, it's almost like it was supposed to be yeah. a discovery. So, line. yeah, Jim, cool dude. Yeah, super Basically, cool Basically, he even tried to buy all the tooling. That's of where the, the whole thing Defender. started. That's right. Huge Defender fan, lifelong traveler, as you said. Yep. And then Land Rover, it's like, here's the blank check. I want to buy the tooling and the rights to Defender. I want to keep making it. You're crazy for stopping and, exactly. you know, building this other thing. You know, then we got, yeah, we got the Grenadier. And I mean, that's what happens when you tell a billionaire no is um he's like well i'll just make i'll just make my own i think it's hard to not have a little bit of a man crush on the student i just found out he bought he bought bell staff he did the the cool thing with the grenadier is what this guy's doing with the ineos brand which started as a i mean a petrochemical company that's right chemicals company and you can really see that the vehicle was developed with passion like there was someone steering the ship who actually cared or and actually had a vision where i think these days so many cars get so watered down. I mean, I do think that, you know, Jeep does a really good job of preserving the Wrangler. Yes, um, absolutely. I, I absolutely. think that the Defender is maybe the example of, I don't want to say all show, no go, because the vehicle is actually very, very capable. But it was like, you know, that vehicle always felt to me, okay, how can we make it appeal to as wide of an audience, but still be based on just every other Land Rover model. Yeah, it's just that it's the difference between a new model that was pushed by design and marketing. Yes. Versus a new model that was pushed by enthusiasts and engineers. Yeah, there was a singular vision That's right. with the with the Grenadier. And that is why I'm so interested in it. That's why you're so interested in it. Yeah. And and I and I think it's maybe important to say we're not trying to disparage the defender, but it is inevitable that you make comparisons between the Grenadier and the Defender. Yeah. And we need to, we need to talk about how does the Grenadier compare to the original Defender, which we have one right behind you here. How does it compare to the new Defender? How does it compare to the G-Wagon? How does it compare to the 70 series? These are all really important questions. And fortunately, I just have so much time driving all of those and now the Grenadier that we definitely have some opinions around that, uh, which I think will be relevant. From the beginning, we have... Well, you have experience. I have opinions. I have <laughs> I have nothing but opinions. You have lots of experience. Not with the Grenadier. I mean, you're, uh, you're, you're yeah, the I dude know. with that. Yeah. Well, I just, feel, just so, I feel so incredibly fortunate. And it's also really important to note that we weren't compensated in any way to go be the first to test the Grenadier. Um, we receive no compensation of any form, and Grenadier Ineos is not an advertiser. Just genuinely we excited. Just, we to were see just that extreme. Vision. Yeah, it was a perfect. It was a perfect fit with our experience and passion for the project, and them wanting to have an impartial journalist uh, review the product. Uh, it was a great. It was a great fit. So yeah, we got a chance to to fly out to North Carolina. Uh, we went to the Uari National Forest. And there is a private inholding there that's owned by the folks at Overland Experts. And Overland Experts is one of the, it's like they're, they're right below the surface of what we see in popular overlanding uh, because they don't really need to promote themselves to the public space. But they're one of the most capable overland training, testing, and 
like kind of military support organizations out there. They do a lot of secret squirrel vehicle training stuff back east and a hyper-competent team of trainers and drivers. Most of them are ex-military. But because this is a, a private inholding where they have lots of buffer of land that gives it a lot of um, secrecy, they do a lot of testing of OEM vehicles and military vehicles there, including the Grenadier. So we go to the Overland Experts facility, and there's a bunch of prototype Grenadiers there. Uh, there were other people there that were unrelated to to journalism. Um, there was some of the folks from 7P were there and some marketing team members related to Grenadier, but I was the only one there that got to talk about it, at least in a timely fashion. So Yeah. So what'd you think? Well, I think the for me that the immediate takeaway is that it has a placard on the vehicle. It's actually right at the A pillar in front of the driver. And it says built on purpose. And that is a fairly bold statement. And it also is something that is clearly the mission of the Grenadier, which is we're going to build a vehicle that's suitable for NGOs in developing countries. And we're going to build a vehicle suitable for adventure travelers and overlanders that want to do extreme remote travel. And it was built on purpose to do that. And when I drove it, I realized very early on that the vehicle very much was built to that specification, to that goal. I'll give you some great examples of it. When you sit in the vehicle, you're sitting on Recaro seats, which sounds very cool and very bougie, but there's a bunch of advantages to Recaro seats, but they are not electric in any way. They are all manual Recaro seats. Less weight. Less stuff to go wrong. Less stuff to go wrong. And if you're water fording, you're not getting all of those components wet, dirty, all the gears aren't getting dusty and filled with gunk or whatever else. An all mechanical Recaro seat. So a comfortable, supportive seat that's lightweight. And that's an existing component, right? So as a startup company, yeah, they don't have to spend X gajillion dollars designing these components. It seems to me that Grenadier... Ineos, they're relying on really trusted suppliers. It seems like it. Yeah. That's, and that's a good, that's a good approach uh, because you get to adopt all those learnings. There's a lot of Bosch components on there, BMW components designed by Magnus Steyr in Austria. So there's a lot of, like you said, premium suppliers and collaborators that are involved. So another great example is you sit in the vehicle and you look down and, oh my goodness, there's actually a, an all mechanical parking brake. This is 2023. Yeah. My truck doesn't have a mechanical parking brake, not even one that you it's apply you with a, a foot. <laughs> That's true. It, it, <laughs> like they're all that way. They're all either, but it's a foot brake. Yeah, it's a foot one. Which what we want is a mechanical handbrake. Yeah. If it's snowy and you have a parking lot by yourself, a, a mechanical handbrake with your hand, hand yes. brake. A lot more fun than the one with your foot. That's right. Well, there's a lot of reasons for it. They are more fun because you can get, especially in this configuration, which is different from a Land Rover, the parking brake is on the rear axle. So if you have the the center differential open and you apply the handbrake, you're going to initiate the vehicle rotating, oversteering, drifting the vehicle, using the handbrake. In a Land Rover, it's always funny when people tried to do that because it was on the transfer case. So it had a very different effect. Oh, um, yes. The LT230. <laughs> it has a mechanical handbrake. It has a cable-activated transfer case with high range and low range and then an open 
center differential in the transfer case that can be locked in either high range or low range. So very much like the Land Rover transfer cases, but it's an actual lever connected to a cable that runs down a cable and to a, a physical transfer case. That's cool. I mean, which is, you, you which is built that, by Tremec. That is something that you don't see. Which is built by Tremec. So yeah. it's a Tremec transfer case. It's about 2.5 to 1 low range, which is plenty low when you combine it with the 5. I think it's a 5.4 to 1 first gear in the trans okay. transmission that's actually not finalized. Yeah, that's a ZF8HP, <clears throat> which it is. if anybody has heard me geek out on automatic transmissions, that is the, that's one, the one that's trusted from... It's where Rolls-Royce and Bentley agree. Yeah, that's right. Let's, so great, let's, great let's, transmission. Let's talk about that two to five to one thing because there's going to be somebody here with a, you know, with a Rubicon or for some scenarios, lower is better. But I actually find like two to five, two point five to one. That's what's in, you know, the G wagon, for yep. example. I think the Defender's two point seven seven one in the LT two thirty. Anything lower than that, and like you almost end up with too short of gearing. Particularly in reverse, that's where the if you've ever driven a Rubicon Wrangler in the dunes or in the mud or yeah. in the snow, uh, the four to one transfer case is actually a liability. And initially, the four to one transfer case or these very low transfer case gears, they they actually made a ton of sense because you had these were Toyota mini trucks and and Land Cruisers and you know vehicles that either had a four speed automatic yeah. with a very tall first gear. Or they had a manual transmission and having a four to one with and a they, manual makes and, a ton of sense. And they didn't have the same power curves. Like, That's right. You know, it's not about, it's not always about how much torque or how much horsepower the vehicle makes. Oftentimes it's where it makes it. And I think that that's what's yeah, so fascinating absolutely. about the engine that they've chosen, which is in North America, we're just going to get the B58, which is the, the gasoline version, but they're both from a BMW derivative B77 diesel B58 petrol. And I want to say that they're un running their own proprietary, simpler Bosch electronic control. They make power so low and they have this flat torque curve and that it's you turbo. don't have to have four charge, to one. Yeah. Let's say that you have your Pentastar and the, yep. and, the, and the Rubicon. Well, that doesn't, one, the engine doesn't really make much torque and it makes all of its torque very high up. That's true. Fact, when you take everything in, I think for utility use, yeah, four to one in this application would actually be a negative. Uh, this vehicle has a 50 to one low range with an automatic, which is absolutely perfect. Yeah, um, It's very clear. It, this has nothing to do with the Grenadier. It, this is just in the same way that 50 to one is perfect with an automatic, 75 to one is perfect with a manual. Closer to 100 is even better for extreme rock crawling. And it's the same reason why we want to have a tire diameter that's twice the wheel diameter. These are basic functionalities of a vehicle that make them perform exceptionally well in the conditions that we like to travel in. So 50 to one is ideal with an eight speed automatic 5.4 to one first gear. It's plenty low. Um, I did a lot of left foot braking in the technical terrain on this course. There was no shortage of crawl ratio, both for descending and for ascending. So, yeah. I'm just, I'm just excited about it. Yeah. It's super, you know? it's super cool. I think BMW, like the BMW, like it doesn't, it shouldn't even exist in 2023, but yeah, somehow we're just talking it about does. That. Somehow like, it does. It's, it's pretty cool. On I think the one area that I'm a little bit skeptical of, they're the BMW power plants. Mm. BMW has been making straight six engines for a really long time. There's an advantage to an inline motor. I'm not going to say half the moving components, but you have one head gasket. 
you know, you've got one set of valves, you have one camshaft. Well, maybe you have two camshafts because dual overhead camera or whatever. Yeah, sure. You know, it's simpler. It's easier to work on. There's less components to fail. There's one manifold. They tend to run cooler as well. Yeah, they're very smooth. Yeah, very Um, smooth. You know, I I have confidence in this engine because, you know, Magnister, who, as I believe, correct me wrong, was an engineering partner. That's correct. Development and engineering partner. Yeah. So Magnister was a few things. They're an engineering company. They're a manufacturing company. On the engineering side, that's that's where Ineos partnered with them. On the manufacturing side, and I and I guess the the engineering side. You know, that's where the G-Wagon came from. That's right. Right? Uh, back then, it wasn't Magna Stare. Magna was a Canadian company that bought into, I think it was Steyr Push Steyr at, Push, at yeah. the time. I mean, they've made everything from the Steyr Aug, the Pinsgauer, the Halflinger. And the G-Wagon. Yeah, that's right. The G-Wagon. They're also a contract manufacturer. So this is a service that they offer. They have, again, going back to from an outside perspective, that 10,000 foot view, they've really chosen kind of the right people to assist them on this. The Evoke that we drove in Greece was going to be built at the Magnus Air plant. They're kind of like this contract manufacturer that's good at doing specific models and turning things around very quickly, right? They build the Supra. Well, and that was... When you mentioned that, that I found that to be very interesting. So those that are listening that are Toyota fans, they're going to really hang their hat on reliability. Yeah. And so you have the the company that designed and built the G-Wagon. You have the company that now manufactures the Toyota Supra. And as I understand it, based on the way that you described it, there are a lot of similarities between that engine, between the engine in the Grenadier and the engine in the Supra. So Toyota is not going to use a motor that doesn't have at least and they use the fundamentally same transmission. Now, I mean, to be fundamentally fair, the, great. the Supra is a BMW Z4 underneath. Yeah, sure. Right. Again, what I'm getting at is this is a drive line where I'm starting to get confidence back in it. And it's um, been around a while as well. Because right. the problem, as you were saying, is the cars have maybe not gotten reliable. We're, we're, no, BMW we're, had some dark ages. I mean, if you look at... I remember reading an article where they were comparing a 20-year-old Lexus reliability against a two-year-old BMW. And it was like the 20-year-old Lexus was more reliable by a wide margin. So obviously, BMW is trying to address that. And if you look at some of their reliability numbers, they are improving in a lot of ways. I think you make a valid point. You have this vehicle that is very simple, very austere, minimal systems, as minimal systems as they can possibly have that DOT. And yeah. And and let's touch on that too. Like everybody wants, not everybody, but there's a contingent of people out there that seem to be very vocal. Don't maybe necessarily seem to be new vehicle purchasers, right? Like that's that's something I've mentioned before is that there's people who have opinions on new vehicles and there's people who buy new vehicles. New vehicles have to be manufactured for those that buy them, not those that have opinions on them. It brings, uh, to, to finish off the engine thing, they've worked with that platform before. Yeah. You know, it's a tried and true engine gearbox combination. I mean, in 2023, now that we're in that, you know, the rest of it, the body, the axles, the driveline, the frame, that kind of stuff, that's not that sophisticated anymore. In yeah, in fact, this is, inten- this is intentionally unsophisticated, which I actually, so this is a body on frame vehicle. How rare is that to find in an SUV? It's got solid front and rear axles, which is something that we always ask for. And the price point isn't really that bad. No, if you do some comparisons 
between vehicles? Like if you were to compare a 200 series Land Cruiser in the UK to a 200 series Land Cruiser that was sold here in the US, um, it looks like that this vehicle is going to come in in the high 60s to the high 90s as a range, Uh, maybe even the low 60s. So if you look at how much cars cost today, that's a hell of a deal. Well, so you have... I mean, just to branch out into competing vehicles, you have the Wrangler, great vehicle. Yeah. I had a Gladiator. I really, really appreciate them. They have the benefit of huge volume. I mean, they will make- Quarter million Wranglers a year, yeah. Yeah, they'll, they, make, they make huge numbers. So you're able to get that economy of scale. You know, those are anywhere realistically mid to high 30s to 70s now. I mean, yeah. we have- Oh yeah, there's hundred thousand dollar Wranglers. Hundred thousand dollar Wranglers. Three ninety two. Yeah, if you want them. And then on the far end of the spectrum of body on frame vehicles, you have the G wagon. So if you're going to try and get a G wagon, the really cool thing now you can get the professional package. It's a little bit of a watered down professional package, but realistically, it's appropriate for what the G five fifty is. I just I was looking at one. It's one hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, if gonna, you could get it. If you could get it right by the time you build it out and you do the professional pack and you do like maybe a cool color like the uh, the tan, yeah. the tan or they do the the weird blue and you, you have these two opposite ends of the spectrum. And I think when you consider that you're getting an Austrian built vehicle with German components and all of these key players involved in the 60 to 80 range with a twin turbo inline six and an eight speed, that's I'm not saying that it's not a lot of money. Yeah. It's just everything is a lot of money. Everything's a lot of money. But I, I get this sneaking suspicion with the Grenadier that there's good value for money there. I agree. Uh, again, like you buy the 392 for $80,000, $90,000, and then you have to send it. Not you have to, but a lot of people then send it to AEV and they get you know some nicer interior, some different bumpers, some different wheels, some suspension, some this and that. It's done. I mean, you can get a roof rack. You can get, I mean, everything. You, you can yeah, literally you really just can. spec the vehicle, pretty much get in it, throw a fridge in it, drive around the world, and you're done. And it's probably good to kind of compare the Grenadier with a Wrangler. We have a lot of time in the JL and, and the JK. They actually are quite similar. In fact, the, recent, the more recent JLs have actually had a bump in payload as well. So you can get a JL close to 1,400-pound payload. Five link front and rear suspension, solid axle, body on frame. So there's a lot of similarities between the two. What you notice most about the Grenadier is the available interior space. The overall volume of the interior Mm -hmm. is significantly higher. Because you're building over the tires. That's right. Not building in between them and then adding pretty significant fender flares. The roll cage of a Wrangler just... And it's got this kind of squatty roof line, which all those things make a Wrangler extremely cool. It's not yeah, to take for sure. It's literally not to take anything away from a Wrangler. But when it comes to I'm going to buy a box and travel with it, the Grenadier is a box that you travel in. It's literally as square as they could make it. And the interior as a, is as space efficient as they could possibly make it. It has a lot of interior room. It reminds me a lot of, of a 110 station wagon. Um, although it has a little bit more uh, yeah. length on the inside. I'm fascinated. I know that from some people I can't mention, there's there's kind of some OE solutions coming for campers and pop-tops. Yeah, that's right. It's, the aftermarket's going to hit it hard. And that's going to be the key 
to the yeah. success of the Grenadier is in the same way that the Wrangler is one of the most maybe. modified vehicles. I have a differing view. I don't think that the aftermarket needs to hit it that hard. I could I could maybe advocate for a little bit larger tire, maybe a little bit more suspension height for recreational off-roading. But I think that the beauty of the Grenadier is what do you actually need? Are you just, are, are people, you know, just going to like throw a bunch of LED lights and crap yep. on their Affirm card like they're, they do with Wranglers? They're going to, yeah. Yeah. They're going and, to. But, but it I doesn't, think they're missing it, it there. It doesn't need it. And I would agree with you. So we drove it on very technical yeah. terrain in Uwari, and the vehicle is on a 32-inch tall tire, the equivalent of a 32 by 1150, and it will easily fit a 33. So we kind of have this, it won't take a 16-inch wheel, which I think there's going to be some more evaluation around that, but it doesn't look like it'll take a 16. But it's on a 17, right? It is on a I 17, mean, which is fine. A 17 is the new... It's the new 16. If you're, if you're <laughs> thinking about tire availability yeah we're talking about a stock wrangler rubicon tire right, right. i mean that is like the most the, probably the to- most common totally. off-road tire you can get and it's a nice balance a 255 80 r17 will fit on this vehicle with no modification okay so that's a full 33 inch tall tire there is absolutely room in the wheel wells for a 35 like a narrow 35 so think of like the 35 1050 kenda oh yeah you um, have those on your, your gmc I've got project. Them on the gmc and i love those tires it's a great size there needs to be a lot more options around that size because it's perfect you don't end up with too wide of a tire so you don't end up with a lot of loss and efficiency and and it fits in the wheel well nicely because it's the same width as the factory tire I think that a 35 1050 on a 17 inch wheel on a Grenadier with about a 50 millimeter yeah. lift is going to be it's going to go anywhere you want to go because you've got a locking rear differential, a locking center differential, a locking front differential and a five link suspension. So the rear has a lot of articulation. The front also has a lot of articulation. Is it radius armed up front? No, it's not. It's five link in the front, just like a Wrangler. So if you were to compare a Defender 110, an original Defender 110, to the Grenadier, the Grenadier has a lot more available wheel travel and articulation. The articulation in the front is only limited by the sway bar. Mm. If you remove the fact, which we're not suggesting that people do that, but a lot of people may consider removing the front sway bar or putting a front sway bar with a different with a different uh, rating on it, there is a lot of available articulation out of the front. So yeah. it'll have more articulation than the G-Wagon in the front. It'll have well, that's more, not very hard. It'll have more articulation than the G-Wagon in the rear. It'll have more articulation than the Defender 110, the original classic. It'll have more articulation than a 80 series Land Cruiser because it doesn't have a radius arm front suspension. It has a five link. So it's going to be on par with articulation to a Jeep Jeep Wrangler. More like a Jeep Wrangler JK. There's there is a little bit of advantage to the JL through shock length and shock positioning that the Grand doesn't have. And I do think that, that the the Wrangler really, you know, Jeep does a great job of kind of designing for the aftermarket. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but they're different buyers. Yeah. Right. When I think of the Grenadier, I think of Overlanding 2010. Yeah. I think when it was more about travel than likes on Instagram. And it was more about likes or light bars, likes or likes or light bars. And you know, Hey, whatever the markets, the markets broadened because of that. We've both done really well, you know, in disclosure. Grateful. Um, Grateful. Yeah. Super grateful. Um, I really think that, I think that there's gonna be a lot of people that miss the concept of the Grenadier because they're not really aware of, I don't want to say what real overlanding is, but it's about travel, not conquering trails. 
somehow overlanding became hell's revenge in moab <laughs> when that was always it was already called something it was yeah. called off-roading, off-roading. Yeah, exactly i think where i'm so excited about the anios grenadier and why i mean why i put my name in full price no discounts whatever i should have by my estimation one of the one of the first yeah i mean that the email got sent out at 11 i did know uh, the email was going to be sent out at a certain time deposit put really excited i'm going to do probably the bell staff trial, trial master trial master yeah edition which is the name of one of the jackets yeah yeah so it's not to be confused. Some people are calling it the trail master. It is not the trail. It's trial. Just flip the. Yeah. I, I, uh, I ride trials. Yeah, exactly. I got, I got roped into it, um, from my wife's family where everyone rides trials, including my mother-in-law. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So I had no choice. I was all into adventure bikes, you know, with yeah. my buddy Scotty and stuff. And then, you know, those are those big dumb things. That's, that's, that's silly. And my first trial, <laughs> I thought, you know, I've had this Bellstaff trial master jacket for a long time. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, it's going to be so cool. I'm going to do a trial in it. There's like three <laughs> other guys there doing it. I'm in. I thought I was the snowflake here. And um, I have not uh, lived that down in my family yet. But anyway, I, I'm really excited. I'm probably just going to go all out on it. Like I, I, I turnkey, like I love the idea of a turnkey vehicle with quality components. And then I mean, maybe we'll drive one like across Africa or something yeah, or do something know. and fully appropriate. Yeah. Fully appropriate. Cause that's what this, I think this vehicle is about. It's not about, it seems to be all go and less about the show. Oh, for sure. It's basically a box with wheels, which is how overland vehicles were always designed. Yeah, exactly. And it's got great approach angle, great departure angle, good breakover. 115 inch wheelbase. So it's right between a Wrangler JL Unlimited and a Land Cruiser. Land Cruiser is 112. Yeah. The JL's at uh, almost 118. And think so, about the places that you're actually exploring these days. Yeah. You know, in the age of the Defender 110 or whatever. Yeah, there's a dream. There's places you couldn't go without modifying the vehicle. You know, it's the world's pretty much paved. Like you're, you're looking for trouble verging on to justify a vehicle with traction control, huge amounts of low-end torque, locking differentials, all of the things that so many vehicles these days tick the box of, you're squarely in the realm of recreational off-roading, which is great, not disparaging. I like reserve capability, and this vehicle has it. Yeah, Yeah, this this vehicle has it, but as we were talking, like the route running to Cape Town is paved now. It is. You know, you you can drive around the world and nearly anything like i've been really interested in eccentric stuff like drive my little 68 911 short wheelbase around the world or something because you can do that now you, yeah you totally um can. so to look at a vehicle like this that has plenty of articulation all of the traction aids differentials etc et yeah. and 32 inch tires like there's an argument that even that's overkill for for some things now if you're well there's but, an argument there i'm not yeah. arguing that well and i think i think the key now why capability matters in my opinion matt is that there are a lot more people doing it so like if you were to go to sedona and try to find a camp spot if you have like a standard level of capability you're camp next to 22 other people can i start lying to people about campsites being closed in sedona that I like? <laughs> that's what i like about having the additional capabilities you yeah. can get you further, can further you can get further away or you can take a more obscure route where you feel like you're on more of an adventure than just on a road trip so. I, I should balance things by completely calling myself out um because i i have been the guy with and i am the guy with 
very large tires and yeah, all of those things. So there's wants and there's needs and damn it, I want them. <laughs> so you can submit something to our complaint box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like reserve capability. I yeah. like reserve capacity, which means payload. This vehicle comes in at around 1900 pounds of payload, which is Huge. way more than anything else you're going to find. 1900 in pounds equipped with a lot of the things you yeah, want right. with steel bumpers. That that's right. Realistically don't need to be replaced. That's right. Obviously, Snorkel, all the yeah, things. Obviously yeah. like, and this is with all manufacturers, the final payload is dependent upon the options that are selected. Yeah. You know, which is, which is maybe something that people think is a mistake as they'll see, Oh, Ford Ranger or Jeep Gladiator has 1600 pounds. Well, that's sport yeah. with manual windows and this and that manual and, transmission, and, and, and whatever yeah. to have a reasonably well-equipped vehicle with that amount of payload. Uh, you know, it's cool. I mean, to be fair, the Defender also, the new Defender has a it does. phenomenal payload. It does, um, absolutely. And is very capable off-road. It's complex. So the thing that I think a lot of people like about the Grenadier is it's boxy, as simple mm. as you can make a vehicle in 2023. I like the little barn doors. Yep. The little barn doors are awesome. These are some of my takeaways from driving the vehicle. So in the technical terrain, you've got very low head toss, which also speaks to tuning of yeah, the suspension. Tuning low center gravity. That's right. And it also has not only long travel, but good articulation overall. So the hood stays really flat. There's a couple things that I noticed that throttle modulation is good, but it's a little aggressive on tip in. But this again, this is this can be something that they will change People by the time. I love they- that. They do. That is that is definitely a consumer preference. So it may not change, but you attenuate that by using modern braking. Yeah, modern cars. You basically just you put the throttle down ten percent, and then it just yeah. shifts through the gears. And Exa- goes. Exactly. A little bit more throttle response on tip in has become much more common, but that is present in the Grenadier. So you're kind of l- missing that really long throttle travel that you would get from a classic Land Rover, mm. which is always something I really appreciated about the vehicle. Same with a with a G-Wagon. Under left foot braking, you can attenuate all of that. So I think that throttle modulation throughout the range is quite good. Brake modulation is excellent. It's not too grabby. Like we experienced that with the Defender. It was the brakes are a little grabby. Um, they're a lot more sensitive on initial application. Whereas the Grenadier, very smooth brake application, really allows for left foot braking. The traction control system works quite well. In fact, I really didn't need a locker for any of it. But the locker settles the vehicle down and it also reduces trail impact. We were on trails that were intentionally meant to be private property. That's right. Off-road course. So when you're driving regular trails, you always want to engage four-wheel drive and engage lockers is appropriate to minimize trail damage. But um, the lockers turn on and off really easy. It's right on the overhead console. Mm. Big fat switches. You could do it with a gloved hand. Super easy. It does have an off-road mode that you can go into. It changes some screens and changes some of the algorithms around the traction control. The traction control is a little less effective under left foot braking. So hopefully that's something that they address. Uh, The traction control in off-road mode should not be reduced in effectiveness under left foot braking. So you want it to stay the same uh, like an A-Track or something like that that you'd see in Toyota. What I noticed when I was driving it at kind of moderate, uh, moderate to higher speeds on the dirt was that you notice a little bit of that payload. So it's a little firmer in the mm. rear suspension, which again, there's a the reason The only way for that. you're going to get rid of that's that right. is airbags. Yeah. Or you just load it up with your gear and then yeah. it's going to 
drive great. For those that are driving one unloaded, it's going to be a little firmer in the rear, but there's a reason for that's how you get the payload. These are iBox Springs, progressive rate. They've done everything that they can to address that, but it's the nature of like if you hop into a 3500 Ram, the ride quality in the rear is going to be a little firm because yep. it's meant to carry a bunch of stuff. Uh, just be aware of that when you drive the vehicle. It's not an issue. It's actually intentional. So a little bit firmer in the rear. Uh, I thought the steering was surprisingly direct for a solid axle. You know, a lot of, you don't want it to be ball. That's right. It is. And you don't want it to be too direct because it leads to a lot of driver fatigue. This isn't a sports car. So we're not trying to be super precise in the way that the steering responds. So I thought it was a nicely weighted steering and I thought that the, it was appropriately direct. It, It didn't feel vague. Like Older Land Cruisers and the 70 Series, pretty vague. Uh, This is less vague, uh, but just the right amount. So I think the two areas, you know, we've sung the praises of the vehicle, how we want it to succeed. Let's get into the dirty. (laughs) We have to, right? We We have to balance. So the things that really concern me are, to get off the bat, the build quality, right? I haven't experienced it, but whenever a new car company comes onto the scene, Mm. regardless of you know, the the engineering consultants and suppliers and whatever. There are divisions at Stellantis that work on switch gear and, you know, noise, vibration, harshness and, and all of these things. How did you feel the build quality of the vehicle was? And then after that, I want to, I do want to dwell a little bit on the, the service network of it. Because yeah. um, I know, again, to compare it to a Jeep or even a Land Rover, there, there, there's a there's a dealer network. There's currently zero announced dealers from what I'm aware of with Ineos. Yeah, we can talk about the things that I know about both of those things. I did ask the question. Uh, they had some Ineos personnel there that were related to after sales and um, some of the systems. And I asked that question. The way that I look around build quality is that it's built in a Mercedes plant. So it was a prior Mercedes plant in Hambach, France, designed by Magnus Steyr. And it's also very simple. Mm. So as far as my experience driving the vehicle, I had very little of that kind of plastic squeakiness going on. Yeah. I didn't have any rattles, very little of the plastic squeakiness going on. Not so, not that you can't get that with a major company. I mean, I think Fords do that for me as, you know, like every little edge has a, has yeah. a mold seam line or whatever. Yeah, I That's think... That's cost cutting, but... I think that the vehicle has an advantage around it being very simple. Yeah. And I think the fact that it's made in a Mercedes, a prior Mercedes plant, they use a lot of the same employees designed by Magnus Steyr. I think those are things that help it to come across as build quality. It's also not intended to be a, a cheap vehicle. So they are building it for a more affluent consumer. So. I, am, I am so surprised that they don't have a Mercedes engine in it. Yeah. There are increasing ties between Ineos and Mercedes, whether that's through their sailing efforts. Yeah. They're both you know, supporters of the Mercedes AMG F1 team. Well, it's it cool to see Lewis know. Hamilton driving one of these things, uh, which absolutely. I thought was maybe a little bit of a conflict, but Mercedes was okay with it. I think it was great. 
Well, and maybe you know the answer to this. Does Mercedes have a program like that where they sell their engines out to other manufacturers? They, they do. The best known example of it probably would be Aston Martin. Oh, okay. So they wow. have a, the same engine that's in the E63S wagon that that's, I lent you. It's insane. Which is... It's insane. It makes no sense. Yeah. It's literally insane. If you get a chance to drive an E63S wagon... Yeah, and did you launch it though? I don't think you launched no, it. No, I, I mean it's your car, so I like. No, but, but I, it doesn't mean I didn't it's, get it's on. Under it. warranty, I mean, you, you, I know it was it's, insane. It's so crazy. It was insane. anyway, but it's the same motor. It's it's their four liter bi turbo. It's kind of a hot V yeah. style. So they farm that engine out to a lot of people. I can see why it's unbelievable. I thought it was like this thing is so fast, and then I realized that there's like a whole nother stage of the accelerator that I never had gotten into, and then it was like blah. You know, anyway, if I had like, any hair, it would have been. I, I'm, just, I'm just curious to see, like, with, with these increasing ties between those two companies and, and the things that they sponsor. Yeah. Especially when you have a company like Ineos. And I think that this is an interesting thing to talk about is where the company is going to go. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to report to shareholders. Like, that's the thing that's is right. Ineos is one of the largest privately owned companies in the world. Yeah, that's right. I think it's the largest privately owned company in the United Kingdom. Correct me if I'm wrong, could be wrong, but take Jeep, part of the Stellantis group, which is now, you know, Fiat, uh, Peugeot, conglomerate, publicly traded, Land Rover, publicly traded. All of these companies that they're Is Land Rover publicly traded? Through Tata, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't know if so, Tata was privately held. No. Um, the Tata family. I'm not sure what stock exchange you're listed on, but yeah, sure. I believe that they're public. The cool thing here is it's a vision of one person. Oh yeah, for sure. There's one person driving it. There's one person that's going to use it. There's, well, there's many people are going to use it, but there's the guy at the top is motivated for it to be successful because it's in essence a, I don't want to call it a passion project because that is like something you do when you open a coffee shop. But yeah, the point being that they don't really have anybody else to answer to aside from one guy. Yeah. Obviously he wants to be profitable. What, what happens next for this vehicle? You know, cause where it's at now. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see a crew cab truck version. What, what happens when the Rubicon of this comes yeah. out? I mean, the li- SVR like, version of this, they're likely going to do that. I, I mean, I don't know. I have no information to that extent, but th- why not? Why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you have a more, an even more capable variant of that? And I think people will be looking for it. I think that they're going to, they're going to be very surprised by how high the ticket price can be of this vehicle with the right packages. But I also am really grateful the fact that you can buy us like a stock standard one yeah. still with without a lot of options because it that'll also take you around the world. So I drove most of the course without putting the lockers on. And yeah. the times that I did was just to test their capabilities. So you're going to be able to go anywhere you want, even mm. without the locker version. Uh, but as far as the, the build quality, my initial impressions were quite good. And it's because it is very simple. Yeah. Like this, the, again, the seats, no electronics in the seats, the dash. Like there's actually no gauge pod other than this very small little like vestigial warning pod that's in front Mm. of the driver. The only thing on the dash is this screen that it's in the center and it shows all the things. So there's just not much to go wrong. I do suspect, like I think about my G-Wagon after 30 something years, there were were some squeaks and rattles, but not many. And I think it'll probably be similar to that. The dealer network is the big unknown, mm. and it's going to be really important that they get that right. It's going to be important that they get the experience right when someone has a problem that they're taking care of. You know, And then when you think about it as an overland vehicle, the one thing that I noticed was the rear seats when they fold down 
They don't, the whole floor isn't flat. So ah, you end up of death for dog people uh, when they flip forward, the floor is flat. But then how does your dog put his head on the center console and you give yeah. him that? So I think that someone's going to need to come up with like a low profile drawer system that ends up with this perfectly flat mm. floor back there. Cause you got to be able to sleep in these things. It is long enough to sleep in, which is really important. It has a pretty high roof line. So you end up, you know, being able to kind of sleep inside the vehicle. So that's something that I, that I like. Um, it, you know, it's going to have an auxiliary battery option cool. from the factory, which is kind of cool. And the batteries are underneath the passenger seats in the second row. So they're very low and, and centralized, center mass, yeah. centralized. So that's kind of cool. So I think, I think we're going to be pretty pleased with this thing under, under most circumstances. You know, it's not going to be as capable as a Wrangler, but it's going to be pretty close. Cool. Well, I can't wait to drive it. Hopefully we I'm do sure some stupid things. On. I'm sure that'll happen soon. Yeah. yeah I'm, I think we're going to have some announcements here soon that we can share. So cool. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. We got a riff on Grenadier. I mean, imagine, I mean, think about it. It is 2023 and we just got to talk about a new car company that's introducing a body on frame, solid axle four wheel drive, which you know, is I, like, I, it's I, like I think you would have never imagined. I think if you're in the position to support it, it probably makes sense to at least give it a try, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. how many of us have sat around the campfire and said, I wish somebody would make a vehicle like this. Nobody gets it. They're not offering this. Well, now somebody is. Yeah. Um, and the worst thing that can happen is people don't step up to support it. If you don't, if you don't support your local new restaurant, they close. If you don't support exactly. the company that's actually making the car you've been screaming about for the last 20 mm-hmm. years... Um, and we're not telling people obviously to go buy new vehicles, but it's just more like if you yeah, have stay within your means and, and yeah, and stay within your means for you. If we don't support people who are doing cool stuff, then you know we don't get we don't get cool toys. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks, man. Until next time. Yeah. And then we've got a a full article on Expedition Portal on the first drive of the Grenadier. We also have on YouTube a first drive video that shows a lot of the off-road performance that we just talked about. Uh, So check those out on the Expedition Portal YouTube channel. And until next time, we'll talk to you.